Welcome back. I'm Kimberly. She's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Today we've got one of our international series and we're talking to Bishoy Tadros and he is at the moment in Portugal but normally based in the US and he's going to take us on a journey, uh, some of his journey and some that he would like you to travel as well with him. So welcome Bishoy. Hello there, thank you for having me. There are a number of videos around that people can go and have a look and see you talking and, and talking about your early history. So I, I don't really want to drag you back through that other than to say that you have travelled a path and you have met some challenges as has the family around you. And we determined in our early discussions that today we would talk about three things about patience, perspective and purpose the first of those things that we want to find out from you is what do you think is the most critical of those three that you should have? Absolutely. Yeah, so thank you for alluding to that. Um, my, my story is out there, and I should mention that I am uh, in, in the final stages now of publishing my very first book, which I'm very excited about. That'll be the go-to point for, for everybody. It's going to be called Break Barriers, and it should be out uh, this summer. So I'm again in the final stages of wrapping that up right now. Fantastic. Um, so to, to circle back to uh, your question, um, out of the three, each are very, very important. But you know, if you were to put a gun to my head and say pick one, <laughs> I would probably have to say purpose, because the way that I look at purpose is it's essentially the more you look to seek out your purpose, the more likely you're. Uh, you're going to be to identify strengths and moments of weakness. And for me, personally, it's those times where I've really exited my comfort zone and I've done things that have made me ultimately uncomfortable, whether it was physically, mentally, or emotionally, that have driven successes in, in various areas of my life. Yeah. So we, we've talked, um, we're great Simon Sinek fans, so we've talked pre in previous podcasts about discovering your why, and I actually looked at a video just not long ago where you talked about the same sort of thing, about discovering your why in the middle of the end of the, mar the uh, try that you were doing. And we, we've had some, some triathletes on the podcast as well, some local ones here from Australia, and they've talked about the same thing, about particularly getting into the run and realising that you've just got to go one more kilometre, one thing at a time. We've talked a lot about breaking down the overwhelm situations into things the way you can have purpose. How do you maintain enthusiasm for the little tasks when you when you've got that purpose as your focus? It's a progression. So what happened with me was the very first time I put myself in that arena, I very slowly started to uncover areas of potential. So, you know, I'll go back to the very first ever race that I ran. You know, once I completed that, it was, it was this feeling of, oh my God, I, I, can, I can run a half marathon. Yeah. But, but prior to that, a year ago, I, I thought to myself, no, 13 miles, that's crazy. I'm not a runner. I, I don't run. And, you know, if I run 13 miles, does that mean I have to keep on running afterwards <laughs> for more races? And so that was my very first race. And so I, I didn't necessarily get an itch after that race but I just realized that I can do something that I never thought I could do in my entire life before yeah that, that's the good. problem with that is that it continued to escalate so I would keep <laughs> doing things until ultimately like you said you alluded to 
the half Ironman that I did in, in 2017, and and so that was a 70 mile race, and, and for me that was that was beyond crazy. For five months I shut things down. I, I didn't have a social life. My mother was concerned. She 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 said to me, she said, you know, you're spending all this time in the gym. Can you focus a little bit more on maybe finding a girlfriend? Uh, and, and so yeah, so I. I I took a lot of heat for those five months, and when people kept asking me, they say, "Bashoy, why, why are you doing this?" And, and I, I really had no answer for them. What happened was when I got to race day that June, you never really know if you're fully prepared for any of those kind of races. For me, the way that I kind of took it on was the training is the hard part, right? So those yeah. five months where you're in the gym twice a day, where you're waking up early in the morning, where you're jumping in a cold pool when it's cold outside, where you're pushing your boundaries in terms of mileage. That's the hard part. The race day is supposed to be the easy part. And so I, I, I got on, on the bike, and it was 93 degrees outside in Maryland. And uh, forgive me for not having conversion because I'm yeah, you're talking right. in no, we're, uh, we're, we're old. We remember when we had Fahrenheit in this country, yes. so you know, it's fine. <laughs> All right. So um, I, I, I finished the swim in about an hour and seven minutes, which is about normal time. It was not great, but for me, the swim was supposed to be the hard part. And then I got on the bike. And uh, about 40 miles into the bike ride, I, I had one of the, probably the biggest breakdown I've ever had in my life, where I looked down, there was not a single rider around me, my bike was pretty much done, it was like riding in quicksand at that point, mm. I had salt all over my skin because I was completely dehydrated, and I got myself to a point where now I was asking myself the same exact question that everybody else was asking me for the last five months. It was like, Meshoy, why, why are you doing this? Yeah. You know, what possessed you to sign up for this race, to give up the last five months of your life, and to just find yourself in the middle of nowhere, Maryland, completely dehydrated, and not a soul in sight? And at that very moment, I actually didn't even have the answer. But I knew one thing. The one thing was, I have to finish this race. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so... The way that I finished the race, to your point, was I had to compartmentalize it and break down the remaining 30 miles of the race into one-mile markers, essentially. And that was the only way that I was going to finish it, by setting small goals ahead of myself in order to get to the finish line. It was when I crossed the finish line, it finally clicked, that my entire life I had been holding on to this mantra of overcoming obstacles. Yeah. And I had never spoke about it with anybody. And the fact that I just proved to myself that I could finish something so absurd like this 70 mile race yeah. the, the universe was finally telling me it's time to share your story and it was that year when i ran the new york city marathon right after that where i finally decided to come out and, and share the story that's great did you at that point stop to think how many other obstacles you absolutely conquered without you counting yes at that point i think what kept me going and what made me, I, I, as a person, because of everything that I, I went through as a child, quitting was never an option. Mm -hmm. But it was at that point where I really had to dig deeper than ever to basically bring back memories of times where I was close to quitting, but I just continued to push through. That's good. And also an opportunity for you to realize that you were doing this yourself, that there was no support mechanism around you to help you through that process that this was something that you could do and you had done on your own I, I joke around with people because I had my phone in my compression shorts at the time and look my mom was at the finish my parents were at the finish line yeah and, and there was a moment where I thought to myself 
do I just call my mother? I'm 30 years old. I'm about to call my mother and tell her I want to go home. <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah, and I, I joked around, but I could never do that because I would never be able to live that down, of course. But uh, oh no, we we know we know yeah. about Middle Eastern mothers. Like Fuliana has a Middle Eastern mother. Well, yes, my mother would be expecting me to. <laughs> Yeah. Sure since you had purpose and you you had patience in terms of looking at achieving those those smaller goals all the way through that last bit of the run the perspective side of things that, that gave you obviously a different perspective on on your why on what you should be doing and how you should be doing it what drives you now is it the perspective that drives you now yeah so with regards to perspective that's the one that really channels back to to my childhood okay. so um just a quick background for the folks uh, yeah. uh, on the podcast yeah as a child i was born in egypt i i was diagnosed with leukemia as a three-year-old child and and my parents had to uh, up and leave everything that they knew in order to move to the states for me to get treatment beyond that you know the, the situation or the circumstances of my family are fairly unique my father is a coptic orthodox priest and, and so the dynamics of my family are not the norm so mm-hmm. here we are you know an immigrant family my father has a unique position I am a cancer patient and I'm moving to the states and between the ages of three to 13 I'm undergoing treatment I have various setbacks I have a brain surgery and you know as I'm sure everybody knows kids in that age range can be can be cruel mm-hmm. and, and so I, I didn't necessarily fit in whether it was culturally physically socially emotionally and I had to navigate all of that as a child so when I, when I talk about overcoming obstacles I talk about the big picture of how it affects almost every arena of your life you know after I got that clean bill of health and and I really decided that you know nothing was going to get in my way uh, at that point where I had to kind of look back and understand that things happen for a reason Um, and I I truly do believe that I do believe that you're not really given anything that you couldn't handle in life and so when I when I look back at all of that and how difficult those times were for me the foundation that they built it gives me perspective now on why no goal I put in front of me is not necessarily something that I couldn't accomplish. Uh-huh. And, I, and I, I take that to heart in every arena of my life now, you know, even even professionally. There have yep. been multiple times where I've been told that I can't do something that I wanted to do. And every single time, you know, I, I basically look around, I, I say, here, hold my cup of coffee and, and watch me go. And, and so that that's really where the perspective lies. The perspective lies in understanding that I've been able to accomplish so much that now it's just a matter of applying it to my future steps. Okay, so so in that sense, you, you set out with your career at your feet to start with. How do you determine the path that you want to follow? Well, uh, it's interesting. So with my career... I had gone to a very small state school in upstate New York. It had a, a very good reputation um, academically. It was called SUNY Geneseo. But uh, the thing about it was I always wanted to work on Wall Street. And I graduated in 2009 right in the heart of the financial crisis. Uh-huh. And 
the school I went to actually had no real ties to Wall Street at the time, no ties to the banks and, and the asset management firms, etc. And I, I'll never forget, I went to a career counselor's office and I had told her what I wanted to do and she basically looked at me and she said, well, we don't, we don't do that here. <laughs> and I, I, I looked at her and I, my, my kind of, my, my jaw kind of dropped because I thought to myself, oh my God, I just wasted the last four years of my life and yeah. I, I'm not going to be able to get to where I want to go. And on top of that, the market was just so horrible. And so I graduated college unemployed and at that point I had to get tactical. And this is a lot of where, you know, the patience element came in too. Uh, I realized that no one was going to pick me up off the street and say, hey, here's, here's a high paying job at, you know, a big investment bank. So I um, started off by working for a recruiting agency that placed public accounts and I had an accounting degree. And uh, after doing that for a year, I had networked well enough to eventually get myself a job as a public accountant. While I was doing that, I was doing my MBA simultaneously um, at Fordham University. Yeah. And as I was doing my MBA, I had come across uh, a friend of mine who worked at uh, J.B. Morgan. And, and he said to me, he said, hey, we, we have an opening on our desk. And I said, um, well, what do you do? And he said to me, well, we manage uh, risk for exotic interest rate derivatives. from from the desk 
um, in a more effective manner. And, and, and that's essentially how I differentiated myself to the point where uh, a couple years later when I was looking to go on to my next role in the bank, I had basically said, look, if I, if I can deliver effectively to all our stakeholders, there's no reason why I can't do this with our clients. Mm. And that was my positioning point to move into my next role where I was in a more front office kind of a capacity. Yep. At this point, we're going to take a break in our discussion with Bishoy. We thank him so far for all of the things that he has shared with us and the things that he's given us to think about already in our discussion. But for now, we will end part one of our discussion. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. We've been talking with Bishoy Tadros, and this is Inside Exec. Mm-hmm.